Welcome to The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series from The Washington Post brand studio and T. Rowe Price. My name is Lynette Kalfani-Cox, and I'm also known as The Money Coach. I'm the author of the New York Times bestseller, Zero Debt, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom, and I'll be your host. Today's discussion features a roundtable conversation with savvy experts designed to help you make more informed financial decisions. This episode is about a topic near and dear to my heart, saving for college. My guests today include Robert Farrington. He's the founder of The College Investor, an online resource for helping millennials get out of student loan debt and start building real wealth for the future. I'm also joined by Roger Young, a certified financial planner at T. Rowe Price and an experienced financial advisor. Welcome to The Confident Wallet, Robert and Roger. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Great. So the purpose of our discussion today is to give our listeners new ways of looking at college savings and the unique set of challenges, of course, that it can bring. So let's get right into it. Roger, how can you estimate future college costs? It is a challenge to estimate costs. Everyone looks at the the sticker price for a college and says, wow, I'm never going to be able to afford that. So what I recommend strongly to people is check out the college's net price calculators. So they're required to have those by law. And what you do is you put in a little bit of your financial information. You can even do it anonymously if you're, if you're concerned about that. And it'll give you a sense, based on your financial situation and the cost of attendance, what you'll end up having to pay. Uh, in some cases, it might even factor in the possibility of a merit scholarship. So they're especially good for people who are you know, a few years away from college, like in high school. But even before that, it can give you a sense, you know, given what your earnings look like and your assets – what you might be on the hook for. So it's very important as you're thinking about loans versus what you'll pay uh, versus potential scholarships and grants uh, to get a sense of, you know, how much you're going to need to save and uh, what your situation looks like. Okay, so that net price calculator can eliminate a bit of that sticker shock that parents have when they see the full price tag of a college education. Correct, yes. And and in some cases, if, if you're a high earner, you might see that your net price is the same as the sticker price. But for a lot of people, uh, you'll, you'll have some possibility of getting some grant money. And it'll also show you what you might qualify for in federal loans if, if you're willing to take that route. Uh, so you have to be creative, but it'll give you a sense of, of what the, uh, the possibilities are. Now, Robert, uh, because we know that some families have more means than others, what should families think about when they're looking at the amount of savings they have and how that might affect their ability to get financial aid down the road? Well, you know, I think families need to remember that college savings is really only one part of that wheel of paying for college. So I like to call it the pie slices. So you have your college savings. You also have your future earnings because likely parents will be working while their children go to college. Your children could also be earning. They could get summer jobs. They could work during school. I'll tell you one of my favorite tricks for saving for college is leveraging gifts. So, you know, a lot of families do give children a bunch of things that they don't necessarily need. And when you combine that across multiple parents, so you might have two sets of grandparents on each side, you know, you just get a lot of things. Well, a lot of families I urge to change those things into donations into a college savings plan. So instead of spending $25 on a toy, put that $25 into a college savings plan. And if you're doing that a couple times a year per kid, and you compound that over 10, 15 years, it can go a long way. Absolutely. A lot of the college savings plans are trying to make that easier for people. So more automated, you know, a simpler way for grandparents to, to chip in or even invite your friends, you know, who are coming over for the birthday party. Uh, they say it takes a village and 
nice to, to get help wherever you can. Right. And in terms of leveraging gifts, I mean, you, there's a lot of opportunities to do so. Birthdays, holidays, special occasions. You mentioned the grandparents. I know a lot of grandparents would be more than willing to help fund a grandchild's education. Yeah. And I hear people say, you know, my parents like me, but they love the grandkids. <laughs> so uh, certainly, certainly a lot of grandparents find that a priority. Okay. So when people are looking to save, whether it's the parents or the grandparents of a child who's going to be going off to college, what are the different ways that they can save, Roger? So there are a lot of different types of accounts out there. Personally, I think everyone should at least look at a college savings plan known as a 529 plan. There are a lot of advantages. They're, they offer a nice combination of tax benefits, but also keeping parental control over the assets. So you might hear about things like an UTMA, a Uniform Transfer to Minors Act gift, that can look good for taxes for some people, uh, but you can have negatives in terms of financial aid. And when your kid gets to 18 or 21, depending on the state, uh, that money's there. So they might not spend it the way you want uh, going towards a college education. Uh, Taxable accounts are an option. Uh, They're very flexible, but they lack some of the tax benefits that you have in a 529 account. Uh, I also hear people saying, well, why, why not use a Roth IRA? I'm saving for retirement. And I can take money out there. And it's not a ridiculous option, but it can hurt you in terms of financial aid. And, of course, it sets you back looking towards retirement. So there are a lot of different options. A 529 is a good option for a lot of people. I say, you know, it's good to think about an education account for education and a retirement account for retirement. Okay. It's simple. Let's do a little bit more of a deep dive. You mentioned with the 529 plan in particular, different benefits associated with that. Now, let's contrast that, if you will, with the UGMA or UTMA account in terms of financial aid. My understanding is that the 529 will not have any negative financial consequences in terms of a child qualifying for financial aid, as does the UGMA that you just referenced. Well, I wouldn't say quite as strongly no impact, but if you have a 529 account, that's treated as a parental asset, and the most that that can affect your financial aid is, I believe, 5.64%, a very precise number, but you know, a little over you know, 5-6%, uh, as opposed to if you have an UTMA or an UGMA, that's a student asset, which is counted at a much higher rate. 20% or so, right? Yes, and so that's a big factor. And also, both of those are lower than the biggest factor in financial aid, which is your income. And so, when you think about people saying, oh, I'm, I'm not going to get financial aid if I save, you know, to me, that's not a good excuse for not saving. Right. So, just to drive this point home a little bit to our listeners, in dollars and cents, in real numbers here, if the money is in the parent's name, so... The 529 plan would only be assessed at 5.6%, meaning that for every $100 that you have in a 529 plan, you're only required to give over to the school $5.60. But under the UGMA or UTMA, you're assessed at a rate of 20% because those assets are held in the child's name, which is less advantageous under the financial aid formula, meaning the family would have to fork over $20 out of that $100, correct? Potentially, yes. Yeah, and then all this, this goes into what's called your expected family contribution. And that may or may not directly affect the aid, but in, in most cases that, that leads to what you can get in an aid package. And even if you save some money in, in a 529, there's a, a certain amount that doesn't count at all. 
So you get an allowance. You know, if you're over 50 and you have a few kids and you're a dual income family, it might be twenty, thirty thousand dollars that's completely excluded. So that that first amount that goes into the savings doesn't count against you at all. So, Roger, can you paint a picture of what a successful college savings plan actually looks like? To me, the important thing is to start with automatic contributions to a 529 or a different type of account as soon as you can after your child is born. And when thinking about the amount to put in, you should aim for enough to at least fund a college degree. So, for example, you could try to get to two years worth of community college plus two years of in-state tuition commuting, so just the tuition piece. And certainly some students are going to go to public schools versus private schools. Some students are going to win merit-based scholarships. The family's assets, as we referenced earlier, are going to be taken into account in, in different ways. Robert, let me ask you also your thoughts on what a sort of successful overall college savings plan looks like. For me, it really looks like as whatever the family can really afford. So if you are able to contribute anything to the college savings plan, it's better than nothing. If you're able to ramp that up with raises, future earnings, gift from others, you know, that's going to be the important factor. I think the other thing to look at as you get closer and closer to college ages is where can your student also help contribute to their own future as well, whether that's working in the summer, um, applying diligently for scholarships, um, and setting themselves up so that they play a big part in that college savings plan. Now, let's touch a little bit more on some of the myths that people have and maybe some misconceptions when it comes to saving for college. Yeah, I mean, you still do hear some myths about 529 plans, even though they've been around for a while. And, you know, there are some some basis in fact, and there are some some things to consider, like the fact that if you don't use your 529 account for education, uh, there is potentially a penalty on that. But it's fairly easy to transfer it to another child. You can even use that money yourself. Um, And the 10% is only on the earnings. So it's it's not as big a disadvantage as people, I think, think it might be. Uh, There are even people out there who still think, oh, well, this is a a state plan sponsored by a certain state. My kid has to go to that college or it has to be public or private. And and no, it's fairly flexible in terms of the college that your child can attend with any 529 plan. That's an excellent point because I really do think a lot of people have misconceptions about that. And the fact is most 529 plans are portable. They're transferable. They have tax advantages in terms of uh, the earnings growing tax-free. In terms of the money being transferable, I guess if you have, say, an older son and he says, I want to go find myself, I want to go travel to Europe or whatever... I don't want to go to college after all. If Johnny says that, you can transfer those funds to Janie, say, who might be two years behind him and, and ready to go off to college afterwards, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and a nice little uh, bit of incentive for Johnny to get his act together and have that money not go to Janie, right? <laughs> now, you can even use the funds for yourself, correct? If yeah. you use them for higher education purposes without penalty or, or anything like that, maybe that's a good strategy for folks who are thinking about going back to school to earn a degree, perhaps a graduate school, et cetera. Yeah, and you can even transfer it to an, a niece or a nephew. The, the definition of relative is pretty broad. You have to be a pretty nice uncle to give money to a niece or a nephew, <laughs> but it's, it's a possibility. Okay. So lots of flexibility there. Robert, what about downsides? Is there any sort of drawbacks or disadvantages to um, any kinds of college savings accounts? 
You know, the big drawback is that you're not able to use tax-free money and also claim tax credits. So the value of a tax credit for the payer of that education could be more than the value of the tax-free earnings that are used in one of these accounts. So that's a careful consideration, but it really only applies to very late savers. Okay. And what about if money gets left over if, you know, by some miraculous <laughs> stroke of good luck, somebody managed to save a whopping, you know, 200000 or whatever, and a kid took the money, used it over four years, but then there was still money left over. What happens to those funds then? Well, like Roger said, there's so many options out there. I, I would personally say a wait-and-see approach because you could also use it for future grandkids. You could use it for a lot of different people. Um, so I would just wait and see. You could use it for yourself. So there's no reason that, you know, the kid's 24 and out of college and we just have to make this account disappear. We can really wait and see and, you know, make some smart decisions down the road. And are there any restrictions in terms of the types of schools that accept college savings plans? For example, do trade schools, community colleges, or just all post-secondary educational institutions? Pretty much every school that is accredited and is eligible for financial aid is free game for this. And there's an awesome list put together by the Department of Education where you can search your school's name and it will tell you whether or not that it's eligible for as a qualified higher education expense. Let's turn now to a conversation that families should be having. Sometimes I hear it's kind of heartbreaking tales when a kid has expectations to go to his or her dream school, but the parents haven't really set expectations or said what they're able to fund. So how do you set expectations with either your kids or maybe even your spouse or partner about how much you'll pay for college? Well, to me, the the first part of that conversation just has to be make sure everyone knows it's not a blank check. Now, if, if, if you're in the situation where it is a blank check, you know, bless you, that's, that's wonderful. But not too many people are in that situation. So at least the sense of, you know, yes, you've done a great job of getting into these, these schools, uh, but finances are going to be a consideration. And Robert, any tips on setting expectations about paying for college? Yes, Roger is spot on. So sadly, I see this too often where parents are keeping their kids in the dark until the very last minute about what they can and can't afford. So I really think that parents need to be beyond just the childhood um, sharing about money and teaching how it works. Like starting in high school, parents need to be very transparent about what's saved, what they can contribute to, what their kind of expectations are that they're going to bring to the table and where the student should be filling in any gaps. Because if a student wants to go to a very expensive private university, you know, they shouldn't be dissuaded from that, but they should know very clearly up front that the parent is only going to provide, say, the cost of what an in-state university would be for public school. And that might might not cover nearly what they are expecting to pay, and they're going to have to come up with that difference. So I think the earlier those conversations happen um, and the more transparency that there is in family finances, the better off they will be. Another question for you both, and this is, put this in the category perhaps of TMI, too much information, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I don't think I'm alone in this. I have three kids, so my oldest is 20 years old and a junior in college. My son is 17. He is a senior in high school, and then I have a a little one. She's 12 and in, in sixth grade. Um, But my ex-husband and I, my ex-husband being the father of my two older children, um, we divorced. We had a divorce agreement, property settlement agreement, and we agreed that we would both essentially pay for half of college tuition for our kids. There's some dispute now about (laughs) that. And I don't I don't think I'm probably, you know, the only one out there. So I'm just curious if there's any tips for divorced parents 
or for singles who are looking at issues with regard to paying for college, what should they be doing? I've seen this as well, and it's the same thing. You know, you really need to be clear up front, and it's hard because you're in the kind of worst mindset you can be, and you're just trying to get done with things. But the more you can be specific and plan for these costs in the future, the better you'll be in terms of those types of agreements. So, you know, maybe you're each going to split those costs 50-50, but what is the cost? And is there a cap that you should add? Or are you going to split the cost of an in-state public four-year university? Or are you going to split the cost of a private school? Or are you going to split the cost of community college? Robert, that's great advice. Another thing I'll add is that it's important to have an understanding of how financial aid works. When you're writing up the agreements, be aware that as a divorced couple, one of the two of you is going to be considered the custodial parent for the FAFSA. So you might want to think about what that looks like and what would be advantageous in terms of financial aid. I know it's it's hard when your kids are young and you don't know what's going to happen with income and other things and remarriage. But it's at least worth some thought as as you go through that process. Right. Again, the FAFSA being the free application for federal student aid, the sort of key form that families have to fill out in order to obtain financial aid for college. So now that we understand different ways of saving for college, let's move into a segment that we call This or That. This is a section of the podcast where we discuss the pros and cons of two options to any given financial challenge. So this episode's challenge has to do with the different types of savings plans. I'm going to ask you both, what are the pros and cons of the 529 plan versus an UGMA or UTMA account? Well, I'll start if, you, if you'd like. And, and to me, the, the big pro of the 529 is it's designed for education and can help you make sure that that's what the money is used for in a tax-advantaged way. In, in terms of how you use a 529 account, uh, a lot of things can only be used for tuition, but with a 529, you can also apply that to room and board, which is a nice benefit. With the UGMA or UTMA, again, you can get some tax benefits in the earnings being taxed at a lower rate for the child, you know, up to a point. Um, and if you if you don't care about what they ultimately use the money for, it's nice to give them that gift that's very flexible. But for a lot of people, that's not what they're looking to do uh, when they when they're funding. Uh, Robert, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts as well. Same thing. I mean, the 529 is great. It's a great tool for saving for college. There's uh, many states offer a tax deduction for contributing to these plans. The money grows tax-free. And there's just a variety of benefits when it comes to education. Um, I think that my personal use of the UGMA is I love that account to teach children how to invest. I think it's a great tool that you could set up for a high schooler. You can put a little money in there and you can show them how to actually invest and what that looks like for them. But it's an investment account for that child. And I think uh, they could use it for education. There's no harm in that. It, it, there is a little bit of harm with um, potential financial aid qualifications, but you know, really, I think it's a tool for the child to learn um, and grow and, and invest. Whereas the 529 plan is definitely the education saving vehicle of choice, in my opinion. Yeah, and in terms of of investing with the 529, you do have a limitation. You can only make two investment strategy changes per year. And and I've had a few people who have said. That's a little bit limiting, and you know, I want to have more flexibility with how I invest. Uh, but for most people, myself included, you know, I haven't found that a terribly onerous restriction. Uh, and so I you know, personally like the 529 account a lot. And another question, just as a follow-up for wealthier families who may be able to set aside more for college savings, with the 529 plans, are there caps in terms of the maximum contribution that you can put in in a given year or overall? 
there are caps per year based on the, the gift tax allowance, uh, and there are lifetime caps typically. For most people, you're not necessarily going to hit those numbers. Uh, but yes, for wealthy people, uh, you, you want to be aware of it. For wealthy people, it's also very nice for estate purposes to put money into a 529. So here's a fun segment for you both. We call this one keeping you up at night. I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation that often brings a lot of concern to listeners. And then I just want you to respond with your perspective. So here's something that we hear all the time. College tuition just seems to keep going up and up and up. How can we possibly keep up with rising tuition? Robert, let's start with you. Yeah, and this is the one I hear this all the time as well. And really, I just try to tell people, you don't have to save the whole amount. So yes, tuition cost is rising. But honestly, if you can save anything towards it, that is just one piece of the puzzle. You can also have your student apply for scholarships. You're still going to be working probably when they're in college. So you have earnings. Your student could have earnings. There's potential for student loans, and there's potential for other scholarships and financial aid as well. So just remember that what you are saving is likely not going to be what is 100% paying for college. It's just going to be a portion of it. Yeah, I would certainly second that. The, the other thing I would add is, you know, because inflation has been higher for college than for other types of goods, maybe except for healthcare, uh, you want to factor that into your plan. And suppose that's 4 or 5% per year that college costs are going up. If you think about an investment like in a 529 or, or any of those other types of accounts, putting money into a mix of stocks and, and other investments, you know, historically have done better than 4 or 5%. So there is a possibility of keeping up with it. It's certainly not guaranteed. But putting money into an investment tends to give you a better shot at keeping up with the inflation than just putting it in a you know, savings account. Okay. So our time together here is coming to an end. But before we go, we have one last segment that we call the big picture. This is where we want to encourage our listeners to pursue a particular goal or to find ways to achieve their goals. Today's big picture is this, making a college education achievable for a middle-income household. Is it still possible? What do people need to consider to make that dream a reality? My first answer is absolutely it is possible. And if you're in a middle-income household, you, you have a legitimate shot at getting some, some grant aid from colleges. And with a little bit of planning ahead of time, you can supplement that with your income, with your, your savings. Like Robert has been mentioning a lot, the possibility of, of working uh, uh, as a student to supplement those. So absolutely, there are a lot of different ways to, to fund college. And if you're, you're determined, it is certainly possible. Robert, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. It's possible. I, there's so many ways that you can pay for college. We talked about gifts earlier in the show. Um, you can save, you can work, you can you know do all kinds of things to, to put money towards the future. I would also encourage middle-income families to really look at the ROI of different colleges. So there's various reports that come out every year. And you know, honestly, in-state schools that offer you know lower cost tuition than other institutions provide a great value for students. Um, and the money will go a lot farther on that path to a degree and a better future for the child. My guests today have been Roger Young and Robert Farrington. Thank you both gentlemen for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Lynette. And thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us for our next episode about estate planning. Again, I'm Lynette Calfani-Cox, The Money Coach. If you like The Confident Wallet, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of the Confident Wallet podcast series is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast episode does not provide fiduciary recommendations concerning investments or investment management. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific benefit plan or retirement investor, nor is it directed to any recipient in connection with a specific investment or investment management decision. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views expressed are at the time of the presentation and may have changed since that time. Tax benefits may be conditioned on meeting certain requirements, such as residency, purpose for, or timing of distributions, or other factors as applicable. A 529 College Savings Plan disclosure document includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information you should read and consider carefully before investing. You should review the 529 plan offered by your home state or your beneficiary's home state and consider before investing any state tax or other state benefits such as financial aid, scholarship funds, and protection from creditors that are only available for investments in such states' 529 plan. T. Rowe Price, the Bighorn Sheep Design, and the Confident Wallet, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group, Inc., all rights reserved. The trademarks displayed throughout this podcast are the property of their respective owners, T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Inc.